knowing everything that black people have gone through this country, 400 plus years of slavery, getting pulled out of Africa to go work in servitude, millions upon millions have died. Nobody gave a damn <laughs> because they were property. Gone through all the fights of reconstruction after civil war, gone through civil rights movement, dealing with all this stuff. Would either of you want to trade places with a black person It's Dad's Night. Welcome to episode three of our mini-series on Dad's Night Presents Time Out with Omar and Samer. We have a great episode ahead with a guest based in LA. We have a lot to discuss today, but before getting into it, Omar, how are you feeling tonight? It's another Dad's Night. Uh, excited to keep this mini-series going with another awesome guest. This guest uh, is actually referred to us by my sister. Uh, they used to work together. Um, but I, I won't go too much into it. We'll let him introduce himself. But uh, yeah, let's do it, Samer. David, welcome to the show, man. How are you feeling? I'm, I'm feeling good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're you're in LA right now, huh? Yeah, living in Los Angeles. Uh, it's not too hot out, but um, I wouldn't know because <laughs> been in uh, good old quarantine for the last hundred something days I don't, I don't know how long it's been now but yeah i'm doing great <laughs> yeah it looks it looks like uh the wife has you in quarantine in like the closet over there where are you at where are you at David? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, figured, I figured that come up uh so so uh not to make it a long story but uh the first couple days of working from home i was at our dining room table and i don't know if i'm gonna told you but so we homeschool so I, I work full time. My wife is a is a, a motherhood influencer and is able to homeschool all that great stuff. And um, I became more of a distraction to them, just being sitting at the table because I'm usually home. I'm usually away all day, right? So it was just became insanity. And then I I don't know, maybe like three or four days in, I look in their closet and realize that their closet was ninety percent the stuff we had not unpacked yet <laughs> so so over the course of like two days i just got everything out of here and i put in a whole work from home setup i got a uh i got a standing desk i got my dual monitors i got a fan i got my coffee sitting right here i mean it's, it's the real deal this is the yeah real no i'm sorry i i had to i had to say something <laughs> no no it listen it, it's fine it, even oh actually see my child lock isn't even locked look at that you see that Dad's night. Let's talk about Dad, it. That's Dad's night. <laughs> of the closet, so they can't get in. I'm just saying. But but I digress. <laughs> so uh, so David, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know what? What do you do for a living? Where are you from? Uh, we know you live in LA, but uh, how many kids do you have? What ages? Whatever else you want to tell us. Yeah, the whole the whole shebang, huh? So I'm uh, I'm originally from uh, southeastern Michigan, uh, just outside Detroit, a uh, little township. So small, it's not even a town. It's a township. Uh, called West Bloomfield. Uh, I went to undergrad at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Uh, being in the D.C. area is how I got into television, um, specifically documentary television. So I started working at National Geographic Channel for a while. Then I decided to want to go to film school. So my wife and I moved out to L.A. I was in L.A. for a few years and then I chased the money back to DC. <laughs> so uh, I ended up back at a uh, Smithsonian channel. Um, I got to produce a few docs for them. Uh, I, I had the honor of being able to produce some videos uh, in the National Museum of African American History and Culture, which is a really exciting uh, milestone for my career uh, because those those videos aren't going to go anywhere. <laughs> so, so that was really a lot of fun. Um, and then um, I have a bug for history. Uh, my wife and I started a black history tour company in DC for a while uh, until I chased the money back to National Geographic where I was um, producing kids content before uh, producing some regular um, docs, if you will, at, at, uh, at Nat Geo. And then out of the blue, um, I got a call to come work for Netflix back in LA. So my wife and I have been hopping between LA and DC uh, for the last decade almost. And, uh, and we have two uh, amazing boys, uh, Ellington and Parker. Um, they are three and five, which is uh, the best uh, possible age gap. <laughs> Completely jokingly. Uh, no, they're, they're amazing. And they're, but they're boys, they're brothers. Um, 
they they keep us busy. That's all I can say. <laughs> they keep us really really busy. Uh, we're homeschoolers, and um, yeah, that, I mean that's 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 me in, in a nutshell. Um, fatherhood so, is for this. So that's like, first of all, I love the I love their names. Uh, oh, thank you. Very very cool names. And next time you're in DC, we got to link up for sure. Oh yeah. Oh man, are you kidding me? I, Amino, but first of all, Amino was like the the social queen. Who is my sister, by the way? Yeah. Oh, right. So I'm, I'm just saying okay. how we met, which is how we met David. Yeah. So, I, so, so the next time, because I haven't been back in DC since I moved, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for hanging out because I, I mean, I love DC social scene. I, man, it's especially because I, I, I mean, I first moved to DC in 2003, so mm-hmm. that, that's when I was a freshman in undergrad, and DC was a much, much different place. <laughs> so uh i'm happy to see how it's changed i mean you know there's some good some bad this is a whole other episode of dad's night but um <laughs> but but growth is still better than no, no growth right i don't think that the city is moving backwards it's there's always going to be some issues to dive into and disparities and things all like that but um but yeah dc is a great city I, I love it though yeah man oh yeah that's that's another i mean We've had a couple of cool intros, but you've probably had one of the better ones, especially we have a lot of overlap uh, overlap because my parents actually live in uh, Dearborn, Dearborn Heights, Michigan. Oh, oh my so, God. Yeah. So, and my cousin lives in Bloomfield Hills. So, oh, yeah, man. so we got, <laughs> we probably know some similar people and oh man. It's cool. Absolutely. <laughs> well, cool, man. And it, and it sounds like you've, uh, you've done a lot in terms of like, black history, black culture. I mean, you talked about a lot of different things. Uh, so one of the reasons why we did this little mini series as we were kind of talking about is we wanted to shed some light about what's happening in the world today. Um, and so it's really cool that you've had the opportunity to really take some of those things that, you know, most people don't know about and really run with it and create your own, uh, documentaries. And you even talked about a black history tour, which is pretty awesome. Um, before diving into that, one of the things that we did want to cover was the George Floyd murder. Um, so, you know, you being LA, we saw a bunch of things going on, a lot of protests that are still happening, but we wanted to hear what your initial reaction to everything was. Yeah. Um, so it, it might surprise you <clears throat> that for me, and I'm not speaking for all black fathers by any means, um, my my first reaction was almost a non-reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, I I told some coworkers in an open forum discussion, and um, and they seemed very shocked when I told them that my initial reaction was um, like numbness. Mm. Um, George George Floyd's murder was was not new. It, it wasn't the first. It wasn't the second. It wasn't the first this year. It wasn't the first this decade. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it wasn't the first this generation. Um, so, so I think for a lot of my non-black friends and coworkers, I think I was the first to not be militant about it, to not be overly dramatic about it. I don't mean dramatic in a, in a negative way. I'm just talking about the, the outwardly expression. Um, I was numb. I, I didn't think anything was going to change. I didn't think anybody was going to care. I didn't think, I thought he was going to go viral. I thought some people were going to talk crazy on like world star hip hop about it. And, you know, maybe the news outlets catch it. And then, then we just wait for the next one. The only difference is that this year we're in an election year. There's a pandemic new phones are coming out. <laughs> I mean, like, like, like all those things to me all matter. And, and that's the only reason I'm not saying that that negates or takes away from the impact because obviously it's been impactful, but my initial reaction, um, was, yeah, that's, that's unfortunate that this keeps happening. I don't know what else to say or do. That was, that was my initial reaction. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, to, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, did, did you notice, uh, I mean, what did you notice outside the house? Like, what was LA as a city? What was the initial reaction? You know, we've been keeping up, obviously, in the news. Uh-huh. You, know, you see different things being reported on what's happening. So, you know, I like to hear it straight from people who live there yeah. um, and are in those communities. 
So um, I, I, I don't know what, what the coverage was like outside of LA, but obviously the big um, Black, Pan Black Panthers, Lord Jesus, I'm watching Marvel stuff with my boys. Like, <laughs> like, like every time I say black people or black protest, it doesn't, anyway. Um, yeah, so everybody like saw a lot of those really great aerials of those really huge Black Lives Matter protests and things on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, and there was a lot of looting and some, and some I don't want to say rioting. I almost feel like rioting is really unfair to those who are out there because what they are are protests that typically were agitated. Um, in some way, I, I don't know, right? It just always feels wrong to me. But mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the, some of the looting and some of the agitated protesting in LA um, got all the way up to Northern LA, which is uh, the Valley where I live. And you might've seen scenes from Van Nuys, like they were like jacking up a Boost mobile store and all this stuff. And all that was like, like not even 60 seconds from my house to the point where that night, um, my wife and I, we're on the corner of our building unit. And so we can see like Van Nuys Boulevard was sort of the main thoroughfare and all day, all night, just then, then all of a sudden I look out, I see a huge uh, bus, like one of those like transport vehicles they use for like correctional facilities. I see one of them go by. And then I saw uh, an SUV with a bunch of cops hanging on to the side. We don't have cable, so I, I work in streaming. So I don't, I don't, I'm like, I'm not gonna pay for regular news, regular cable. I don't have it. So uh, we're we're just on social watching, and so I type in like hashtag Van Nuys, and turns out that the Walgreens across the street from us got looted, and then the cops used it as a staging ground to bring in all the other protesters from Van Nuys, and they had them all against the wall. They had them, and this was like the same night that they went into serious um, curfew. So it was nuts. So like me and a whole bunch of the other people in my um, building, we were just standing all on the outside stairs, looking down onto Walgreens, watching the craziness wow. unfold. So, so <clears throat> it is outside my door, literally. <laughs> and my wife and I have made the decision to um, even, even because again, forget about the fact that the pandemic is still happening, but my wife and I have just decided that, you know, we're just going to stay in. We just, I mean, we, we go out, we go out to eat. Um, we, we order in from our favorite, um, we still order in from our favorite uh, ramen spot. We take the boys to In-N-Out Burger, maybe like once a week, twice or three times a week if we're all feeling super depressed. And then, um, and then a couple other places that we try to, we try to go to, but you know, we're not doing a whole lot of hanging out. Uh, we haven't done a lot of um, hanging out with friends or trying to do social, social distance stuff. And mind you, the, the craziness, I guess, has stopped. But um, we're still, and my wife says it really great on some of her platforms, just in general, that we're all, we're all kind of going through a shared trauma right now. So if you thought other people were on edge before, you thought people were on edge because Donald Trump was president, you thought people were on edge because, I don't know, North Korea might do something, like, come on, like, none of those things even matter now, right? Yeah. <laughs> none of those, those things are such small beings. We're all going through a shared trauma, and... Um, and so we're trying to take it serious. So it's uh, it's just one day at a time. And, and you know, like I said, LA's gotten quieter. I don't know if are people popping off uh, fireworks all night. Do you do you hear that in in the background? By the way, because right just as you said that, uh, fireworks went off. In, 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 I did not yeah. hear that. It, I was just thinking about how I'm being traumatized every night. So actually, it's um, ever since here in DC. So I, I live in Northeast. So ever since Juneteenth it's been every night people are shooting off fireworks yeah so now what's fascinating about that though is that because yeah it definitely hasn't been since juneteenth for me it's been like three months now for me oh wow <laughs> <laughs> i about to say because i live in the middle of the valley where um the the black population is a little slim there's a lot more of our, our brown brothers and sisters of the of the spanish uh language around us and um i don't i don't i just don't know i don't know if july 4th fireworks just came out early or something but it has been, and at first we thought they were gunshots, and I was just like, okay, now somebody is spending a lot of money on ammo. That's so, that's so funny that this is happening everywhere, because I was like, okay, I mean, in D.C. usually, so I, I was like, okay, it started Juneteenth, so they're just going to go through 4th of July, but usually it starts about a week or two before 4th of July yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah, that's it, it's funny, but, you know, David, you, you mentioned that, you know, all these things were happening right outside your front door. 
Uh, did your kids ask you about what was going on at all? Have you had to have a conversation about all of this with your boys? Yeah, so um, so I kind of have like two, two reactions, two answers to that. Um, yes, I've definitely had that conversation with them. Um, and yes, because they saw it, right? So, um, the day, so the same day, the same day I saw all the cops and everything craziness, same exact day. Earlier in the day, we went to In-N-Out for lunch. And as we were driving down Van Nuys Boulevard, uh, we saw the makings of the protest. Yeah, I mean, you know, few people outside of a, of a city government building. And then we went and grabbed our food. And then on our way back, it had gotten much larger. So I, I would say there were probably like 15, 20 people when we drove past, when we got, came back easily like 60, 70. It, it was starting to get into a large crowd. Um, and, and they hadn't, they weren't blocking the street. Nothing crazy was going on or anything like that. But my oldest son saw it. And he's five, very alert, very high energy, very, um, very excited just to be here. <laughs> he's like, you're just excited to be here. This living. sounds like, this sounds like Samer at 30. So. Yeah. So, sounds like my kind of guy. <laughs> you, 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 you would love him. Um, so, yeah. So, he looks out. This is Ellington. He looks out and he says, well, hey, what are all those people doing out there? And I, I could tell because my wife had already had a couple emotional days. Um, you know, I had already been having conversations at work. So it was sort of one of those moments where you sort of have to do or don't. And you're going to have to live by the sword or die by the sword in this moment right now. Um, and I chose, I chose to, to go for it. I, I, was, I like was sitting there. I mean, I'm, I, my mom was a pastor. My dad does a lot of speaking. Like I, I was really trying to be specific with my words and I was going to try to sugarcoat it for him. And I was like, no, there's, there's no reason to, I, I don't, I didn't see a value in doing that. So I said, buddy, they're, uh, they're upset because um, there's some police officers who are hurting black people and they want to make sure that people don't do that anymore. I said, you know, something to that effect. And I think most dads will, will understand that parents in general, you have those moments where it's like, okay, you know what? I took the leap. Good. But then the kid is like, well, no, wait, wait a second. <laughs> let's, let's just further explore this. And so, and so his little brain says, well, what are they doing exactly? So, something to that effect. And I said, well, man, there, um, there are some police officers who are killing black people, people that look like us, uh, and they're, they're killing them instead of um, arresting them or helping them. Mm -hmm. so, so we had a little bit more of a conversation. I don't remember the, the details of it, but you know, at this point, my wife is already like tearing up over the side, look, you know, long, long look out the window, just brain exploding type of thing. And, um, and as soon as we got home, because we were only a couple minutes away from the house, and um, as soon as we got home, Ellington takes off his shoes and gets, you know, stuff off, whatever. He runs to his room and comes out and he's got a hoodie on. And, and my wife's like, well, what, why are you getting a hoodie? He was like, well, if the police come and try to kill us, maybe they won't recognize me. And those are like his literal words. <laughs> wow. And so, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of like, oh, well, man, you don't worry. That's not going to happen, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, they, they, they're not going to, you know, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to like make sure everybody still feels good in the moment. But you could see how that was like, that was like terrible for my wife. That was, that was like, that was crazy. So the other part of that answer though, is that the one thing that I, I, I need and I want all of my non-black friends, cause I don't like saying even like minorities and things like that. Like we all have very different experiences. And I just, right now the lens is on black people. Um, the one thing that black people seem to not have had a choice in in this country. And I, and I get this because of a conversation I had at work from home, right? <laughs> from home, um, was that black people didn't get a choice about when to talk to their kids about race. And, and even in this moment at 35, father of two, I, I, I wasn't ready to have that conversation, but as I've been learning because of, of amazing friends and amazing coworkers who are being fearless and open and transparent, I, like I had, I had a coworker um, when we had this conversation a couple weeks ago who said to me, like directly to me, cause I was just, 
I was just going on this call. I was like, okay, you know what? Hand raise. Like I was like that guy, right? And um, and so one of my coworkers spoke up and he said that the hardest part for him is that he has kids who are like, I think they're in their teens. And he just he said he just assumed that at some point it would come up. Talking about race. And that that blew my mind. Like I I, I like almost lost it because at that point, you've already let the world help shape their decisions. You, you, you can't even give them any additional context. If you're lucky, you got a kid who's just open. But if you wait until a kid is basically not a kid anymore, they've had so many influences at that point, right? So I think just having the ability to say that I thought it would just come up shows a different world of privilege in your parenting than most Black people who, my kid is five. And I just had to have the talk with him. I, I, I had to. The two-year-old was right next to him. I mean, he maybe picked up some of it. But the reality is that even if he hadn't had that talk today, let's say 2020 was just a perfect year, right? Because 2020, he already decided to just say, screw the whole thing, right? But let's just pretend 2020 was just a normal year, okay? Pretend like 2020 was like 1998. Maybe, maybe I could have this conversation with him as soon as he goes to school. But maybe it's because I, I white kid doesn't want to play with them or maybe it's because somebody calls him a name or he hears something whatever that's again another opportunity where usually black people we have to step into it because we have to prepare our children for it whereas many white families as i'm my mind has been blown to learn in the last month or so just don't ever talk about it mm. and that and that's, that's that's so that's so scary to me that that's 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 actually that's actually so fascinating, David, because, you know, even me as a Middle Eastern person, we really never had to have that conversation. Um, you know, with 9-11 that happened, that's when it first happened. Like, OK, that had to happen. OK, hey, you know, you may face some racism or things like that. But like in this case, it's just like this is a normal everyday thing that's going on. And it's like like the, the innocent reaction of your son, whereas like maybe they just won't tell, like they can't tell it's me. Just like literally gave me goosebumps because like no kid should have to think like that. And in, in reality, in America, a lot of people have that privilege of never having to think like that. And the, I, the fact that you brought it up in a way that you articulated that, that just like, it made me self-reflect. I'm like, dude, I probably never even, had to do that. that that's a privilege that i didn't even know i had um yeah. and i was really appreciate that. yeah and, and i think that's the other really important part about this is that is that that doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong mm-hmm. right I, I like like you figure you look at it like this the first black mother or father to have to tell their child that they are black was whichever kid <laughs> made it off the first slave ship, right? <laughs> okay? Like, why is this happening? Oh, this is happening because you're black. Sorry. That's that's all. That's the only reason. There's there's no other justification. You can talk about systemic racism. You can talk about lack of education. No, it all just boils down to the fact that your skin is a different color. Your whole world is different. You know? And 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 it just it is what it is and um yeah the whole parent talk that's been probably been one of the hardest parts for me because i remember having to ha- having had to talk with my parents but again not when i was in college because of of low-key race war starting it was simply because i grew up in it, look look sorry if you know if you know southeastern michigan southeastern michigan is predominantly detroit which is predominantly black but 10 minutes outside Detroit, 15, 20 minutes outside Detroit are some of the, the most affluent counties in the country. Mm-hmm. And those are not primarily black. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so me telling you that I grew up in a Bloomfield in Michigan, you, you probably have some idea of, of where I grew up. Yep. And my parents making the choice so, so when I was born, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri. My dad worked for Ford Motor Company. Ford moved him to Detroit because, surprise, surprise, Michigan and Detroit, Ford, right? So when they got there, they could, they, my parents made a decision. Do we stay, all, like, in a primarily black 
neighborhood, black city, where because of A, B, and C, you know, fill blanks how you will, the education system is different. Or do we go a half hour outside Detroit to a majority white school district knowing that our boys are going to get a different type of education? They chose the latter. And so that's why even me, I, I consider myself so blessed that I grew up in a very, very diverse school district. So even though it was a very, very white part of, of town, if you will, there were only, there were like eight elementary schools, two middle schools, one high school. But by the time I got to elementary school and middle school, crazy diverse, crazy, insanely diverse. Um, I, you know, I got off, I got off some Muslim holidays. I got off some Jewish holidays. I got, obviously I got off Christian holidays. Um, you know, my, my school district did this thing called United We Walk, where every Martin Luther King Day, everybody volunteered their time and marched all the way up, like, the main drag of our, our town. Like, stuff like that, which, in a time like now, just gives me so much more perspective on how we all have had very different upbringings. We have all been introduced to race differently. And, and that's something that can't be, can't be understated right now, is that you have to realize that that person that you see going off MAGA Hatton or Black Lives Mattering or whatever, doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on. And I don't even mean MAGA hat in like a racist way. I'm just saying like, they have different views than these people over here because the way they were introduced to this world, the way they're introduced to race, and probably more importantly, the way they were shown on how to communicate that. That's the part that's missing is that most people just don't communicate it. It's like, here, here's what, here's what to know about Muslims. Mm -hmm. And then they just go off. Here's, here's what we really think about black people. Instead of having open, honest discussions where they can ask questions, where they can get perspective, where they can go and meet and learn and, and make up their own decisions. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's so interesting to hear just kind of, and I'm, and I'm sure, you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but, you know, very close to where you grew up <clears throat> was, a, was a completely different world than what your parents afforded you to be able to be exposed to. Mm -hmm. um, so within that diversity, you know, you mentioned uh, that, you know, black people don't really get a choice in bringing up the race conversation. Uh, did you notice any difference in people's uh, relations or conversations when it came to race in, in that community that you were able to grow up in compared to maybe some friends that you might've had that grew up in other parts of Detroit? Uh, was that, you know, was that something that you were able to notice at all growing up? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so because, so because I grew up in West Bloomfield, um, I, I immediately had a, a stigma against me when it came to other black boys, black families, you know, like that thing. I grew up in like the white part of, of the, the region. Right. Um, but, as I said, my mom was a pastor, uh, and my dad uh, was very, very active in our church. I grew up in the church, but we went to church in Detroit. <laughs> okay. um, my, I, I'm an Eagle Scout. My scout troop was in Detroit. Um, everything that we did culturally was in Detroit or affiliated with the people that we knew and loved and grew with in Detroit. So, um, so, I, so seeing the difference, I, I know I, I, I was just, I was lucky to have two sides of the coin to see at all times. And I think that some of us only get one side and, and maybe that's for lack of education or just parents being taught that that's the only way. I mean, that's the other thing, again, all the issues that we're dealing with right now are all generational. We're not the first generation to deal with this. We're just the first generation to one, see it all the freaking time, yeah. to have it on demand and be able to have these conversations though. So no, I, I didn't notice it like that. I, and, and maybe it's because my parents made it very clear to me was like, here you are, we're in Detroit now, go be with other black people. <laughs> and now it's like, hey, now we're back in school. Um, be very careful about how black you are, because they may not appreciate that, you know, so, so having both sides of the coin, I think, um, prepared me for, for moments like now, and then having gone to a historically black college, which is makes this even deeper, like this is gets into like case study type stuff. I met all these amazing, brilliant, super smart, super woke, super dope black people 
who had no perspective about what it was like to be anything other than. So, so now that like that is a whole twist in the whole thing because they're so black. They understand all our issues. They understand all our problems. But then it's like you get into that heated conversation. It's like, wait, now wait a second. But maybe you quite you your world isn't as diverse. You, like you, you you have the same problem that they do. So even though you're on the right side of history, whatever. It's still about getting context and having conversations and talking and humanizing because at the end of the day, we're all human still too. So it's like, this is, this is, this is one of those things where we're not going to solve it this generation. The best we can do is make a better world for our kids. And if anything has been this, like if anything has been showing the true change in the world is just the fact that in the end, good wins it just takes a really long time. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I, I think you brought up a bunch of good points, especially I love the idea and how you really explained exposure to both worlds, right? I think it's important. I mean, we talked earlier before the show, like the empathy, right? You, you have to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Once you do that, you can actually start having the conversation. Um, you did say you're, you're homeschooling your kids right now is um, when you guys are kind of creating this curriculum for your kids, is this a part of the things that you're teaching them um, right now? Or is it something that you're gonna consider teaching them in the future? That's an interesting question. I, um, so I think, I think this kind of gets back to the same thing where I think most black families don't even, it, it's, it's not something that you have to decide on about race. It's, it's mm. you're, you're black from day one. Yeah. So, so even though my boys are the cutest boys in the world, cuter than every other dad who's listening here, sorry. <laughs> dad beef. I can't, I can't, I can't do, I don't know how to phrase it. There's nothing I can do more than what I'm doing to prepare them for the fact that in, in, they can be the cutest boy in the room, but somebody's still going to see them as black. Mm. Do, do, you know what I mean? Like, like that, just, that, that just doesn't matter. And, and, and all you have to do is go back not even an entire generation to see some of the most incredible and I incredible in like the literal sense, like just mind blowing acts of racism toward babies. And I'm not, and I use, I'm not one of those dads. I use babies from, I mean, I'm talking about from like zero to like 18 as far as, as far as I'm concerned. Like I, you know, I had to, I had to put my, a lot of my, my white coworkers on game with, with the Emmett Till story, um, which is, is similar to like, some of the stuff we're dealing with now only because mass media is what helped light that fire. So I don't know if you guys are totally familiar with, with, with uh, the Emmett Till story, but just for your, for your listeners, it's like young kid from Chicago goes down South. He, he's playing around in the store. He whistles and it's, I'll see children. Can y'all hear, hear the, the children? <laughs> it's crazy. It's a good thing you got the child lock on there. <laughs> if I had forgotten, that would have just messed up everything. So, so, <laughs> so long story short, Emmett Till gets lynched by, um, by a bunch of, of grown-ass men um, for allegedly whistling at a white woman. Um, and whether he did or did not, does not, does not put a, a price tag on his life. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think more recently, and if you don't feel like going back, oh, oh but the other point about, um, about Emmett Till was that, I mean, they beat this boy to death, literally. I, I don't want to get into the gory details, but like you, you can look it all up. It was so bad that people wanted his mother to have a closed casket and she chose to do an open casket and invite the national media. So all over the newspapers was this boy's battered, disfigured face, this, this, you know, 14, 15 year old kid face busted wide open. Create, I mean, like, like stuff that'll give you nightmares. Mm hmm because it's not supposed to be seen. But more importantly, this is just this is not, not how it's supposed to be done. Fast forward, Tamir Rice in, in out in the Cleveland area, playing around with a, with a BB gun pistol in a park. And I'm sure a lot of dads are like, probably like, well, he shouldn't have been out there. That doesn't negate the fact that as soon as the police pulled up, within two seconds, he's dead. Mm. So, so, so again, I don't have a choice when it comes to letting my children know and, and, and sowing the seed and the foundation that no matter what you do in this world, 
there are going to be some who hate you simply because of your skin. Mm. I mean, so, so I, 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 we don't, my wife and I don't have to develop a curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We have to live, we have to live that. And so that's why diversity inclusion does matter. That's why representation matters. Seeing yourself as a value matters because the reality is that 400 years ago, people were, were actively learning how to devalue the black man to destroy the black family. And if you don't believe me, listeners, look up the Willie Lynch letters, and that will explain to you in its entirety on how to destroy the black family so that you can make more money through your chosen profession. Yeah, and actually one of our previous guests, one of my good friends, he recommended that book, so I bought it. And it is, chilling i mean it is and like that's the reality right it starts with understanding the history of what happened to get us to this point today and it's just mind-blowing to me yeah yeah yeah, absolutely and and uh you know we've we've talked about this before too and and like samer said uh you know that historical context uh is is so important when it comes to things like this because you know, going back to, to this point you made, which, you know, I, I, I really love is, is that concept of choice. Um, people need to uh, understand, get, get to understand a little bit better, you know, where that, where, where in the span of time that actually happened. Where was the, where, where exactly, um, you know, were people no longer given that choice or were they never given a choice to begin with? Mm-hmm. Understanding that is important to, to starting to understand how those things evolved into what black people have to experience still to this day. Um, because, you know, a lot of people, you can, you can turn on, on the TV, um, you know, and, and you work uh, for, for a streaming service, you're, you see the kinds of content that's most popular, kinds of content that isn't popular. And, and we're going to get into that um, here in a second as well, because we'd love to hear more about, you know, kind of your, your professional experience. But, um, you know, people uh, are really, I think, a little bit jaded uh, if their exposure just has been limited. Uh, you know, you grow up in certain neighborhoods and you're not around a lot of black people. If you turn on TV, you know, you might you see a lot of successful black people. That can be misleading, I think, sometimes. Um, because it's, you know, it's, it's not real. I mean, that is a very small uh, minority. And also people don't realize what they had to overcome to get to the same place that maybe somebody uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of a different race had to, had to overcome. And, you know, the, these are the kinds of things that I think you can only start to, to maybe comprehend through historical context. So, um, you know, we, we love a good history lesson, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I told you that I had the history tour, uh, so I, I'm, I'm uh, the history bug is definitely, definitely in me though. So I, because I, I agree with you. I think for me, I even, even when I'm, I'm giving people personal advice on, on their own interpersonal relationships. If you look back at the history, somebody's already shown you who and what they are. Like you, like the history will give you all the context for now. You shouldn't be surprised when somebody does something that history has already shown is going to happen. So yes, history. In context. Yeah, you don't. You definitely don't want to go on a deep dive of Omar's history. Okay. <laughs> Let's stay away from that. All right. Don't let, don't Google me, David. Yeah, okay. please don't. No problem. No problem. <laughs> um. So so I I do like I said I do want to kind of shift uh, the the conversation a little bit more into um, you know your your profession. You mentioned that uh, you work in in production, kind of uh, you know on, on the um, uh, on the Netflix uh, streaming services side, so um, which is which is super cool, by the way. But I, I wanted to ask, you know, when you when this when this different content comes across, and you know, you you see, uh, you know, showrunners bringing different shows to Netflix. Um, have you noticed anything about the perception of black fatherhood in in these shows? You know, you have you have some shows that. You know, people will look back uh, and will deem pretty influential to to like black fatherhood. Like you have the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. You've got you know you've got Uncle Phil. You've got um, you know the Cosby Show. Whatever happened after, you know that was a that was an influential. That was the first time black people saw you know like a, a doctor 
and like a family man kind of kind of situation on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you do you uh, see you know either negative or positive portrayals of black fatherhood in the shows that you come across at work? Yeah. So so first and foremost, I definitely can't speak on behalf of like Netflix, like content and all that stuff. So like every, everything I'm saying is like totally just my personal opinion, obviously. Um, uh, but like for me personally, and like my own personal library of, of content, I think that the portrayal of the black father is as diverse as black fathers. So, so like, I, I definitely don't have like an opinion on like, oh, well, this is the best or this is bad. This is this set us back or whatever, because I think that those content creators are drawing from their, their own experience. Um, I mean, that, that, like that, that's really what it comes down to. I think that like the portrayal of black people on television um, has a long storied history. I think that uh, you'll see a lot of initiatives going on across the industry now about uh, trying to include black writers and black voices. And then that, of course, that's not just black writers and black voices. That's, that's all voices. I mean, that, that's, you can't make a show about diverse characters and there not be a diverse writing room, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm seeing now a lot of stuff in the news now about um, white actors and actresses walking away from their mixed character roles. I'm starting to see that now a lot. Like that, um, I think like Kristen Bell and, uh, and I think Jenny Slate uh, had a couple shows that are that are animated, but their characters are biracial, so they felt that that is no longer appropriate. Um, so, so I, I think that it, it really comes down to networks and network executives making the choice up front to give room at the table for diverse voices. I mean, that, that's that's really, I, and I'm sure we'll see that in, in the coming years now. I mean, I think that's, now that's on the forefront of everybody's mind, I think, I think we'll see lots of, lots of different stories by lots of different races and lots of different backgrounds. And, you know, moments like this always birth like a renaissance in media, mm-hmm. you know, like after World War One, after World War Two, after the Vietnam War, you know, some of the best music in, in history all comes like during and after the Vietnam War. Um, and people, people just like to see fresh voices talking about our shared experience. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to, to work in, in storytelling. And, um, yeah, I think, I think there are just, just so many great stories out there that just haven't been told. So I, I, I hope that everybody can see themselves in everything at some point because that's when we all feel good about life. And yeah. love <laughs> That's cool, man. That's a that's a good perspective to have too. I mean, uh, you know, me being like an Arab, right? I see this portrayal of Arabs. I'm like, what? Like, I, I don't know any Arab like that. And so I think, it's like you said, it's, it's sucks. Yeah. It sucks though. And and it, it's I think it's the same way. I think I think it's that way for all races. I really do, because I mean, like I said, definitely black and brown people struggle for diversity and that's why whenever something really breaks the mold we're like so excited right but i I don't know i just think about how um i i've felt that way about um middle eastern americans arab americans like i I, like because i working in television i watch a lot of television i watch a lot of movies and um you know the fact that i'm probably my only I'm like one of my only friends who even knows what a Chaldean is, right? Because I, I just I, I grew up I grew up in southeast Michigan, so I just I was exposed. I was exposed, so I got to have some of these conversations early on with friends, early on with with uh, with classmates, and um, yeah, man, I just you know like I I my wife laughs at me, but pretty much any big show in black culture, I almost don't watch usually. Like I don't want to watch any more music business shows. I don't want to watch no more shows about uh, about athletes. Like I just I just can't I can't I don't care who's behind it. I don't care what the story is. I just don't because there's so many other stories and storytellers out there. So even though it makes somebody a whole lot of money and sells records and I mean who who can't like like uh, I just can't if if the story is based on any stereotype. That's just me as a content creator. Because I'm also a writer and I and I direct and all that good stuff. And I, you know, I'm a filmmaker, whatever. I I just there's just so many stories. There's so yeah. many stories. And uh, and you know that's that's really why 
uh, I wanted to ask that too, because I noticed a shift in, you know, brown actors, uh, South Asian actors. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm starting to see, you know, like a, a diversification of their roles uh, and stuff like that. And I always probably, like you said, you know, it's really not that many of them, but I just get so hyped when I see like one guy who's just, yes. who's playing something else, who's in, who who's, you know, in like a love story or just something different. Yeah. Um, which, which is, you know, you're starting to see it a little bit more, but that's why I wanted to ask, you know, because you're really there, like on the front lines, um, as a content creator and, and really, you know, working in digital media. And, you know, I think it's like you said, uh, you know, you don't even have cable, right? Most people don't, I don't have cable. Most people just have these streaming services, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, I think it's important to talk about what they're putting out and, um, you know, who's behind that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool, like, also to hear, you know, it's like, black people have a different array of perspectives, different experiences. Your, your experience is different from uh, other black fathers' experiences and, and things like that. Uh, so it's, it's important for, to, you know, just to kind of bring that to light. It's, you know, everybody has a different experience in life. Although we might all have these shared experiences, um, certain cultures might have them. As human beings, we have them, uh, but you know, it's everybody's always got a, a different side of the story yeah. to share. And I always like seeing that represented in what comes across on, on our screens, because that's you know, your the big screen, the small screen, like that's where we get all our information. Yeah. And I really think it starts there. You know, it's like what we see there. Because even when it comes to your kids. I mean, I don't know if you got the boys with the iPads out, you know, and, and you let them kind of veg out a little bit from time to time, but. During the pandemic, you absolutely do. I, I Listen, if, if, if you're at month four or five, whatever this is, the pandemic, locked up in the house, and you have not given over to technology, may God bless you immensely. <laughs> because, yeah, we, we had to. I mean, my boys, like, at this point, like, we used to be, we used to be the non-TV household. Like, we used to be, like, like you got TV on like Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. And we had just gotten into that. Like we were just been like, okay, you guys aren't babies anymore. We're doing schoolwork during the day. You guys can focus during the week, you know, maybe like some interactive stuff or whatever, but we no no vegging out. You veg out on the weekends. It's been the weekend since March 17th. <laughs> yeah. All right, I jumped I jumped on you though, Omar. Finish, finish what you're saying though. I feel like I didn't um, get you. No, 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 you're good, man. Um Omar, I think, is your number one uh, streamer. This guy just sits on the TV and just watches it all day. Yeah, let me, yeah, let me get the uh, the corporate Netflix discount over here. That's <laughs> uh, right. so, David. I, I did also just uh, along the lines of of your profession. I mean, I, I, you know, you you have a very like rich history in in just like media and, you know, like you said, storytelling and content creating, be it from your history tours that you used to do here or the documentary that you worked on um, to what you do now in Netflix. But have you experienced or noticed uh, any obstacles that you may have had to overcome um, compared to maybe some of your peers that were in the same position and kind of like moving, moving alongside you career-wise? Um, or, I mean, is that even something that you, you pay attention to? Um, so I think, I think again, every, every, every black professional's experience is different. Um, I feel blessed to say that I have not, I have not dealt head on with anything that I thought was overtly racist in my professional career. That's not to say that I don't think that I have been mislabeled or misunderstood or um, even misrepresented when I wasn't in the room. Um, I'm not prepared to say that those things didn't happen because of my race, but um, I have experienced it from like secondhand where I do think that I have had definitely had black co-workers um, above and below my status at that time uh, deal with what we would say is institutional racism for sure. Um, whether it be the fact that you're black and you're a woman <laughs> or you're brown and you're a woman and maybe you're taken less seriously. Um, I've seen in a couple different 
professional scenarios, women of color, uh, definitely second guessed and definitely marginalized for really no other reason other than the fact that they're a woman and they're a woman of color. Um, because I, I'm also blessed to say that I've worked in situations where I'm working, I'm working at like top level talent, right? I, I've been at networks that are at the top of their game. Um, so the people there are definitely at the top of their professional game. So it's not a matter of whether they can or cannot do the task. So then what is it? Um, so yeah, so, so I've, I've, I've definitely been there for a lot of my, my coworkers. And again, this isn't even just race. I mean, I, I've tried to make myself available to my coworkers on the LGBTQ side. I've tried to be available to my, my, my friends and coworkers who are of any kind of diversity, any kind of, I mean, I've even had a, co I've even had a coworker who is not a, a citizen of this country here as a student having to lean on me and other people because she felt like she was not being heard simply because she was not a citizen. Like these, these things, these things happen. <laughs> and I think that that moments like this, where again, quoting my wife, when we're all going through this shared trauma, I hope that this opens up people's ears, but also opens up people's mouths because you have to speak up for yourself. You have to advocate for yourself in those rooms. Um, you and, and I've had a lot of black people right now who share with me, they're like, you know what, I'm tired of teaching. I'm tired of talking about it. And I'm like, that's good. You know what? You need to sit down and take a rest. But their ears are open right now. You know what I mean? So if you, if you don't want to teach, then you better, you better find somebody who, who can. You better tell them to call me. You know what I mean? You better, because I can talk all day, and, which is, I'm paying for that with my, with my oldest now. <laughs> because I can do it. You know what? Well, who's that? Uh, Captain America? Like, you know, I can, I can do this all day. We can do it. <laughs> even though I'm tired, even though I'm not feeling it, I just feel like, you know, having these conversations is what is what's gonna what's gonna matter in the end. So, you know, professionally, I, I think I've I, I think I've been molded and set up to help champion um, for people who have really caught the worst of it. I definitely have not, um, but I've seen it, and it sucks. <laughs> but um, but I think on top of all that most black people in this country are just sort of baked into having to work harder. Right. I mean, and, and that's really, I think it's people of color in general. I think it's any marginalized people, whether, you know, even if you're white, poor white people got to work a lot harder than, than rich white people. So it's not that all of a sudden black lives matter and nobody else is going through nothing. Nah, man. Like, like, like if we can all win, we all win. Like, like, and I think that's the part that, that I just feel like some people don't, don't get. Like the world, the world is definitely a better place now than it was a thousand years ago. And the reason why is because all the shittiest ideas lost. Mm. That, that, that's, really, that's really what happened, right? Like, you know, <laughs> like other species died because they had really bad ideas. Like you guys aren't smart. This doesn't work. Here we are, we're gonna evolve. And I think that in this modern era, the last 100, 150 years of just like modern thought, we are struggling to evolve like 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 there's just so many better ways to be about life and um oh man anyway yes professionally no i think i think it's been okay for me it's been rough for some of my colleagues and we all just have to do a better job that's yeah no i no i think that was that was um you know that hearing stuff like that can be very encouraging for people you know just like be brave to brave enough to speak up and yeah because you know you notice a lot of uh conversations like this coming to light now uh about you know, okay, you might work at a really diverse company. I work at a diverse company, but the, the, all the members of the board are white. Yeah. So it can, so back to, you know, things kind of being misleading and misrepresented. It's like, oh, well, you know, we, we, we're champions of diversity. And, you know, if you don't have people, uh, if you don't have diversity in your decision-making process, then it's not mm -hmm. really diversity. And, and, you know, the, things like this are starting to come up, which I, which I think is a great uh, conversation to have. Uh, in general, but yeah, I mean, it can be scary for some people, you know, it's, it's your paycheck. People are yeah. scared to lose their paycheck. That's a, that's a valid concern. Yes. You know, well, well, if, if I, if I, if I can, if I can, and can add some thought to that though, even that concern, your, your paycheck is your paycheck. So you absolutely should not be doing anything that you think will jeopardize 
I feel like paycheck at the least. Like, like your life, your children, your paycheck, like all these things, the things that matter still matter, y'all. You know what I mean? So like, would I love to be in Lafayette Square trying to pull down uh, uh, statues? Yeah, I would. But I got two kids. I got a wife. I'm the sole provider of my household. I, going to jail just probably would be a bad thing. Catching a rubber bullet in the eye would be a bad thing. Like I just, that that's not the way that I'm going to participate during this time, right? Um, but yeah, the, to, to anybody who's afraid to speak up, it's okay. Like, like you don't have to have the weight of the whole company on your shoulders. I think that what I've been trying to say to some friends and, and colleagues and family is that even like the notion of diversity and inclusion is, can be a, like a red herring sometimes. It, um, diversity and inclusion is not the same as accountability. And, and that's the challenge that I hope people are bringing to their companies and their, their um, whoever's providing their paycheck, you know, whether it's a, you know, even, even if it's a small business or a huge gigantic corporation, um, accountability is the difference. Because even with like these cops and these different, um, you know, police organizations, let, let's like, let's like unpack it. Like if you're all, if you're already baked in to have racist bias or just racist ideas, you think making them sit through six hours of a black person teaching them how to stop being racist is the answer? That's diversity and inclusion. Mm. Bias training is different. Just like accountability saying that, listen, if y'all kill people, you're going to be off forever. Or we, you know what, we're going to defund the whole thing. Now that's accountability. Now you have to make some different choices, which is different than being like, hey, listen, black people really don't like being called the N-word. Like, like that, like who wants to listen to that? I don't want to listen to that. And, and I think like, like that, I, I'm trying to actively pull the, the, the words diversity and inclusion out of my vocabulary now, because that is, that's like, should be the obvious part. <laughs> like, yeah. aren't y'all tired of hearing it? Like, like, aren't you tired of dealing with it? You know, so, you know, in the last like 30 years, I'm sure all these different corporations have like poured money and like resources and people into like their diversity departments and, you know, like a little sub wing closet office of, of HR or something but that, but that's not, that's not working. Mm-hmm. Because really what is most impactful is when conversations like this happen in person, when somebody can look at the other side and say, damn, maybe I, wow, I guess I have made somebody feel that way. Versus Black History Month, y'all. Yeah. Let's learn about all these Black people and then we're never going to talk about them again until next February. That's diversity and inclusion. That's, that's mm-hmm. forcing, that's forcing and so for me, it, it's, it's, it's time to start taking it a step further where it's like, okay, if you say, you know, if, 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 a, if a corporation who actually know what accountability is, accountability is some of these corporations who are tweeting their Black Matter posts, and then they get ran through on Twitter by all the previous employees who are like, oh, but what about this? Mm-hmm. That's accountability. And the ones who are being quiet about it are not living up to the, the accountability. They just wanted to have a diversity inclusion moment. But the ones who speak up or the ones like, you know, Ben and Jerry's, Ben and Jerry's made themselves accountable on multiple fronts now. <laughs> they, they've said, you know what? We're not just going to say that Black Lives Matter. We're going to start doing something. We are going to do active things that then make us accountable. And when you start playing with your money, now you're accountable to your 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 shareholders to your to your uh you know i don't know development team they ain't gonna have more money. you know what i mean it's just like you got you're accountable to people and money and so i think accountability is uh is way more important than diversity and inclusion way more important than allyship and that's what people should be speaking up about right now that's awesome so who do you think should be responsible for holding people accountable is it the actual organizations or is it the people that have gone through a lot of this stuff Hmm. or a different group well i I think for me so this is when it starts to get like my wife and i joke that we're like the hippies of our family because we just like i don't know i i I, for me this comes down to like accountability as a human being first okay that i don't care what you say oh you know what no perfect example of accountability um 
I wish I could do this. I think I saw it on like YouTube or something like that. But perfect example is like knowing everything that black people have gone through in this country. 400 plus years of slavery, getting pulled out of Africa to go work in servitude. Millions upon millions have died. Nobody gave a damn <laughs> because they were property. Gone through all the fights of reconstruction after civil war, gone through the civil rights movement, dealing with all this stuff. Would either of you want to trade places with a black person 